Hello and welcome to Fourth and Five, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside this week by Jacob Dedimore. And we also have a special guest, Levi Stevenson of Wide Right Natty Light, getting the uh, SB Nation boys back together here, uh, Barking Carnival <laughs> and Wide Right Natty Light. So let's go ahead and get into the day. We're going to be going over the Iowa State game, of course. That's why we have Levi here, our resident Iowa State expert and talking about what Texas is going to be expecting in Ames besides freezing temperatures and a lot of monkey kids and monkey suits and also talk about you know what's what's been happening to Texas over the past three weeks what Texas fans should be thinking about this season and just Texas's program going forward Uh, we don't really need to recap the Baylor game too too much so Let's get into this, Levi. How how are we doing up there in Iowa? I'm good, man. And actually, it's funny that you said freezing cold temperatures because actually the tailgate during the day on Saturday is supposed to be 67 and sunny, so perfection. Freezing. Fucking perfection. freezing cold. I cannot imagine that. Like, are you kidding me? That's 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 a t-shirt and jeans and just <laughs> drinking a bunch and playing bags. That's all that is. I'm seeing a high of 64 in Ames on Saturday, sunny t-shirt. and 64. Once you get into the evening, that's going to be great football weather is all that's going to be. Once you get to the evening, about kickoff time, it'll probably be in the 50s. Let's yeah. do it. That's that's football weather, baby. Exactly. That's that's a jean and a hoodie. Let's go. In Texas, when it gets down below fifty, it's freezing cold. That's why we like playing weather. you guys. That's why we like playing you guys in November. And we <laughs> Well, that's also because Will's kind of a big pussy. And so <laughs> that's true. I mean that is that is part of it. I mean that is, that is definitely part of it. I get that way with heat though. Once I get to, like I am I I don't I I will take a winter over a hot summer any day of the week. Same. Like last last January last Same. January there was a day where the where it was the real temp was minus fifteen and the wind chill was negative forty and I'll take that over a hundred degrees with ninety percent humidity every day of the week. Yeah. Oh no, I'm being hyperbolic. I'd rather I'd rather a cold day than a hot day. This man right here, he sweats. He sweats like in like crazy, like it's his job. So this, I, this I, man I, right here is is what uh, <laughs> what I like. Not just me, but what a friend of mine affectionately calls. I'm a hot boy, and which means yeah. when it's which means I'm a I'm a sweat machine. Do you guys have the phrase "sweating like a pig" down there? Is that a oh thing yeah, there? absolutely. Okay. I mean, dude, where's that not a phrase? Okay, well, I just didn't, I didn't know. I don't I don't know what regional dialects are are around in these places. I don't More know. familiar with the Midwest terms than the Southwest terms. I get it. You know, oh I mean, man, the, the pig capital of the world, baby. Anyways, <laughs> true. freezing cold temperatures in Iowa, and y'all, it's it's another night game in Ames for Texas. It's exactly what the folks up in Ames want. It's not exactly what the Texas folks want coming off the past three games. But let's go ahead and see what does Iowa State have for Texas this year? Well, it's funnily, actually, Iowa State has not been having the year that they want, but it's not a bad year, honestly. I mean, they're 5-3, and three, which is, I mean, Texas would love to be there right now. The three losses have come against Oklahoma, uh, West Virginia, Baylor, and Iowa. Now, Baylor, we know, is a good team. We, we just learned. They have a win over Oklahoma State, close. But that West Virginia game, that's a game that's going to yeah. make Iowa State pretty angry coming off of that game. What exactly has been the problem this year for Iowa State to not live up to the expectations they had coming into the year, which was a top 10 team vying for a college football playoff spot. 
Well, the first two games, Iowa and Baylor, the first two losses, can 100% inarguably be be racked up to special teams. I would say it's offense and defense through, I think, up until the, up until last week, was I think it was sixth in the country in net yards per play. So offensive yards per play minus defensive yards per play allowed. So net yards per play, which is a pretty good offense, a pretty good uh, you know barometer of of how good a team is. I would say it was sixth in the country in in net yards per play. Uh, but the special teams has been was at least at the beginning of the season was an absolute disaster, unmitigated disaster every single week. Um, Iowa won their game exclusively on special teams. I mean that was the most painful way to possibly lose a football game is Iowa punch you to death. And that's exactly what happened. Um, it seems like y'all have the most painful ways to lose to Iowa. We find it. We find a new way every time. It's like Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> it was a combination. I mean, I watched a lot of that Iowa, Iowa state game myself. It seemed like it was a combination of special teams and Brock Purdy just having a crap day because he, he for whatever reason against Iowa, he just has not played well. But if you look, them. if you really look at back at Iowa though, he, he had a rough game, but it wasn't as bad as you think, because like so he threw two, he threw three interceptions. One of them was it was an obvious drop by Xavier Hutchinson. Should have caught it. Dropped off his hands right back into a linebacker's hands. Pure luck. Second one, or I don't know if it's the second one or the third one, but another one was tipped at the line and somehow still caromed all the way out to the sideline directly to an Iowa defensive back. Another pure stupid luck. The third, the second one was it was a deep ball that. Yeah, you, know, you could argue it was probably it was, but it was one on one with Xavier Hutchinson in a corner. You generally like that matchup on a deep ball or whatever. So, can you even hardly blame him too much on that one either? So, I mean, yes, it wasn't a great game, and eventually, and eventually, Hunter Deckers came in and 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 spelled him for a little while just because the game was kind of out of hand or whatever. And but even that game wasn't like as bad as it looks. And and, and Brock's first couple games were a little shaky, but. The dude's come at this point in time. He's got 12 touchdown passes, four interceptions with three of them coming in that one game, 73% completions on his passes. Um, his, his, his catchable target rates, like 90% or some, some crazy number like that. Um, and he, he's been really good. That's, I mean, the last, especially in October where he completed like 80 to 82% of his passes or something like that. I mean, he's been really good. He's been, he's been the Brock Purdy, we thought he was going to be Brees Hall has been just as good as we thought he was going to be, you know, Xavier Hutchinson's having another really good season. Um, he'll probably be a first team, all big 12 receiver again. Um, you know, Charlie Kohler was hurt the first game against you and I, and was hurt for the first in the next couple of weeks after that. And now he's finally up to speed. So like you feel decent about where the offense is at right now, but the the first and, and the defense has been pretty much good all year. Last week was a little bit of a hiccup or last, sorry, last week was a little bit of a hiccup. Um, but other than that, the defense has been lights out all year and it's special teams was the first two. And then this last one was kind of a weird one where he had Mike Rose was out West Virginia just kind of seemed to, and they West Virginia tested Iowa state deep and the corners did not pass that test at all. Yeah. And they really, um, they really did a good job of, of holding out what had been a very effective Iowa state pass rush in that game as well. They, they did a yeah. really good job protecting Daggy. West Virginia, West Virginia. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna give credit to them. They had a good game plan, and they just, they just did. They had a good game plan, and they executed, and that's, that's what they needed to do. And that's, that, I mean, that's what the Iowa State defense is designed to do: is they make you execute, and be very precise, and and they really make you do your job and be patient and all that. And West Virginia was, they did. Jared Dagey was perfectly happy to sit back there and dink and dunk, and then once in a while they'd throw a deep one to beat, and they would beat one of the corners because. Um, the uh, I would say it's corners starting corners right now. Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson's really good. He's a really smart guy. Um, 
athleticism. He's kind of an average athlete. Daytron Young, I've never been a fan. He, again, he's been there forever, kind of makes some dumb decisions, not a particularly athletic guy. The third guy, TJ Tampa, is an extremely good athlete, but he's only, he's a redshirt freshman, hasn't played that many games. He's a, he's a young guy. So you have you have two guys that are not great athletes that know what they're doing, but they can't get there. And you have another guy that can get anywhere he wants and do anything he wants, but he doesn't always know where he's supposed to be. So they beat him deep a little bit. And but West Virginia had a good game plan. I think Iowa State's defense especially has a solid enough body of work for the last couple of years. You, you, I mean, there's the, the, the body of work is too solid and too expansive to, to, to look at me like, oh, Iowa State's defense sucks now. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking back at last week as a little bit of uh, fluke is the right word, but kind of just a, a kind of a one-off hiccup type of thing. When, you, when you're missing Mike Rose and stuff like that, you know, it, it's, it's a tough one. You're on the road, things like that. What it seems like when I watch Iowa State's defense play, they're not a shutdown defense by any stretch, but no, what they, they, they do, don't, they don't, they don't, they're not designed to, right. to completely eliminate your offense. What they're, they do is they make you work for whatever you get. And by saying that, meaning they're going to make you drive the ball. You're not typically, you're not going to hit a ton of big plays on them. They're going to make you drive the ball down the field. Right. And the goal being eventually you're going to make a mistake. Right. And that's they, they kind sit of back how, and, they, how they yep. operate. They sit back, do their job, and wait for you to mess up. And then as soon as they get you into second or third and long, like second and 10, third and 10, that's that's where they that's where I would say that's where they kill you. That's where they'd plunge the knife in usually. Now West Virginia was able to convert some third and long and second and long and stuff like that uh last week for you know in, in a few different ways. Um but typically that's if I was taking get you on down and long and you know, down and distance type of stuff. That's 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 where they specialize, and that's where they can really kill you, um, especially negative plays. So let's kind of walk through John Heacock's defense here, and yep. starting with you have a very strong center to this defense, yep. especially with uh, Greg Eisworth, Ashim Young, yes. uh, backing them up. But really, the, those middle three linebackers, Jake Hummel, Mike Rose, especially, and, and Orion Vance. Those guys have been there forever. This seems like yep. and. That, that's a. I mean, Iowa State always has strong, strong linebackers. And then I'm not even going to try to say his first name. Owazirike it's just any. in it's the middle. E N Y I. Any. Any it just goes by any. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Any Owazirike. I've been talking about it. Texas has seen it, I think, in the past three matchups now uh, with this one is they have that solid middle of the defense that is. It, it's built to have having... a really strong spine right up the middle. So that way your defensive tackle, your middle linebacker, and your safety and your high safety know exactly where they're supposed to be. And they know exactly where they're doing. They're filling gaps, doing stuff right. like that. It's it, it's built to be really solid in the center. And then you go out from there. Exactly. And that's what all the good defenses, when Texas has a, has had good defenses, they've had that strong spine. When Texas's defenses are lacking, which this year they don't have, a defensive tackle who's reliable. They don't have a linebacker who's reliable, and they don't have a safety who's reliable. Oh well, look at this year. But then you have on the edges for Iowa State, Will McDonald and Zach Peterson. What is it about this defense right now, this defensive front seven that has been so special? Well, the the nice thing about the, about the defensive line too is Zach Peterson, uh, Anywazarike, and Will McDonald are all extremely good at what they do. Um, and any, any, you can move him, you can, he can be a nose tackle and they move him outside all the time. They, they move him around all over the place. Cause he started his career as a defensive end, but now he's, he's six, seven, 300 pounds. So that's, that's a I nose tackle. Say, I remember him being a defensive end. He was, he was a defense. Tackle. He was a six, yeah. seven, 270 defensive end. And now he's a six, 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 seven, 320 
whatever you want to wherever you want to stick him. Um, so he's athletic. Yeah, he's he is a, he is a crazy athlete. Um, right. And Will McDonald is is if if you don't know Will McDonald's name now, you probably should because there's a good chance he gets taken in the first round of the NFL draft in April or in May or whatever whenever they have it anymore. But you have two very, very good pass rushers, and Zach Peterson is as solid as they come in defending the run. He's actually had a better season, too, in getting pre- getting pressure on the quarterback now, too. Um, he's had a really, really good year so far. Uh, but he's he's about as good as they come as far as uh, being really good and solid in the run game. Because um, I would say it's especially defense relies on a really, really sound um, and smart defensive line in the run game because they have to they have to eat up the eat up the line of scrim- line of scrimmage and let the run spill out to the outside, which is where your Mike Rose, your Greg Eisworth, your Sheen Youngs come into play, and that's where they make the tackles on the perimeter. Um, but we saw like against against Oklahoma State is a great is a great example. They were getting pressure uh, throughout the lot of the game, but part of what they were doing is they were doubling. I mean, they're they're doubling and chipping Will McDonald, so they got two guys on him and then bringing a tight end to chip Will McDonald. Um, so he's eating up like two and a half blocks, a lot of plays and, and he's eating up one or two most plays and Zach's getting one or two. And then eventually Oklahoma state got then Oklahoma state started getting in some long scenarios. And we saw on that second to last Oklahoma state drive, um, they got, they got into a, uh, they had an incomplete pass on the first down. So now they're a second and 10. So they're a second long situation. They need to get put guys down the field to get, to get open. They need, they need, they need route runners. Well, they made the mistake of doing that late in the game and then putting one guy on Will McDonald and that poor left tackle had a bad time twice in a row. And Will McDonald got sacks on second and third down. And that's, that's something like that where he, he doesn't, he's just doing his job. Most of the game, eating up blocks, doing whatever he needs to do all the game. And then all of a sudden, bang, just like that. He's got two sacks and you're in a third and 26 with, you know, and you're down in the fourth quarter. So that's 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 the damage that Will McDonald that you can do is if you if for one second you do you do not center your blocking scheme around getting rid about eliminating him from the play, he will he will punish you he will hurt you. And te- I mean, he did that last year against Texas, um, where he got to Sam he had to Sam Ellinger a couple times um, when when Texas did a good job most of the game of dealing with him when when uh, of doubling him when they when they could when Jaquan Bailey was not on the field. And then as soon as you single cover him, he'll beat that tackle damn near every time. And that's really good. So when you've seen this front seven be neutralized, how has it been done? What is it? What is the goal for Texas that they should have if you are now a Texas coach on neutralizing Mike Rose, Will McDonald, Olajarike? How are you yeah. doing this? So you, what you do is you look at you watch Oklahoma State film. You watch you watch how they run the ball against Iowa State. Because what the, the way you the way you run on Iowa State's defense is you try to run a lot of off tackle stuff and stuff like stuff uh, either on, on either side of the tackle essentially, because um, when because Iowa State is designed to plug up the middle so nothing no like nothing right up no nothing in the A gap, get rid of that and then you cover everything to the sidelines so that the idea is that you cover up you basically pl- clog up the middle so there's no room to go so then everything gets spilled out and that's where your linebackers and safeties come in. No wonder. Herman had so much trouble against Iowa State with the inside zone. Right, Iowa State generally is really good at defending against the inside zone. What you do is you put your is you basically um, have your running back fall right behind a tight end right up into the seam, and when you do that, the outside linebacker, whether it's Mike Rose or Jay Comel or whatever, out there they have to make a decision. They either have to try to collapse in and pr- take away that middle and try to get after you. Or they take they kind of they play kind of their assignment, which is to keep fading to the outside and and take anything that spills out. 
well, if you run behind that tight end, you're basically running right at them. And their two reads are either inside or outside, not straight ahead. So what you do is you try to make that linebacker make a decision. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, because Iowa State's linebackers are generally pretty smart and they know what they're doing. But the more times that you can make Mike Rose or Jake Hummel have to decide on the fly whether to spill something to the outside or whether to cover outside and then hope that you can push it inside and then like and then your middle and then Orion Vance picks it up or something like that. The more times you can you have to make them make that decision, the more likely they are to make the eventually make the wrong decision. Then you can you can slash up a little bit and get six seven yards. Basically, what you're saying is as opposed to an outside zone where you're stretching the play out and trying to let the running back pick a hole, you're saying run at them, just run at them on the edges. Kind of, yeah. You don't, you don't want it, you don't want to stretch it outside because Iowa State has enough sideline to sideline speed on the linebackers, especially in the safeties, to 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 find people on the to track people down on the outside. And you don't want to run inside zone because that's where they that's the whole thing point of the defensive line is to clog that up. Right. So you want you want to try to you want to try to get them, you know, attack them basically at this at the seam is where because that's where the that's where decisions are being made. So you're basically asking our tackles to be competent is what you're doing <laughs> yep that's yep uh okay cool that's great <laughs> wonderful uh okay so let's go to About the second that. level um, here. Yeah. yeah so the secondary here for iowa state that's what you were talking about before the show i think or maybe it was in the show i don't remember i've already forgotten i don't know 20 minutes in but the secondary seems to be one of the issues especially for west virginia where they tested them deep and they got beat what is going on with the secondary here? What has been the issue here? Or is there really an issue there for Iowa State? So it's it's less the whole secondary. The safeties, I mean, Greg Eisworth and Ashim Young are both very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. They had, and Greg Eisworth has been here forever. And um, the entire defense has been there forever. Yeah, basically. And I remember it, you talking about Ishim Young last year. And Ishim Young is really good. He's a, he's a redshirt sophomore. He'll be here for a couple more years, probably. He's very good. Wonderful. But the corners position. The corner position at, at Iowa State has been a little bit unstable since Brian Peavy left, because Brian Peavy was really, really good. And he, when he was mm-hmm. here, Anthony Johnson was was across from him, so you were you felt pretty good about your corners at that time. Now you have Anthony Johnson, who's still very good. Uh, what he does is really smart. He's he's a he's a, a decent athlete, not a great athlete. So like if you have a if you have a really good athlete that can run uh, run along the sideline, run run go routes and deep posts and stuff like that, and get behind him, that's where he can struggle. Well, fortunately, Texas has one of those. <laughs> there you go. Um, For us. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, Iowa State's corners are very good at keeping things in front of them. They're good at covering out routes and, and curls and stuff like that. They're generally very good at that. Um, when it comes to defending deep routes, it's it's a little bit more hit or miss. The, the second corner is really the issue because right now you're picking between Daytron Young and TJ Tampa. Daytron Young has been here for a long time, but he's like five. He's small. He's like five eight, five nine, and he is not that athletic. Um, he's not. He's not athletic enough to make up for his 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 short stature. And but he he kind of knows. He's been here for a long time, so he, I mean, he generally knows where he's supposed to be. He just can't always get there. Right then, you have the other guy, T.J. Tampa, who is an exceptional athlete. Really, may, genuinely, maybe the best raw athlete on the entire team, and has a hell of a name. And, I mean, TJ, and TJ Tampa from Tampa, like I mean, I mean that's a that's a that's a hell of a name right there. Phenomenal name. Um, he's gonna make a made made to play defense in football. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna be he's gonna be very good. He's just he's young right now. He's a redshirt freshman, and he he's he's gotten decent snaps for how young he is, but he's still really young. 
Um, and that's just a guy that he needs more. He just needs more time to develop. So you have a guy that can get anywhere he wants and make physically make any play you need him to make, but just doesn't always know where he needs to be. And then you have another guy that knows where he needs to be, but just can't get there. So that's that's your dilemma at the second corner spot. So usually you have to supplement those guys with a safety over top, like an Ashim Young or Greg Eisworth or a Craig McDonald. And that's that's kind of that's the predicament right now is because when you when you have to help over the top with a safety instead of letting your corner play one on one, that takes away other stuff and that leaves holes in the zone. And that's that's the that's the predicament right now. Hmm. You got anything, Jake? You got any questions? Uh, no, not so far. Not on the defense. I mean, I, my concern is more about how Texas is going to attack is is going to try and slow down Iowa State's offense, you know, because as we've seen the last, you know, three games now, Texas does a good job of slowing an offense down in the in the first half and For into, three the, into the third quarter, and then somewhere along the way, guys, eventually, and you know, you and I talked about this last week in in the podcast. Every you know, we got all these people that are already eight, you know eight games into his first season wanting to fire Pete Kwiatkowski, which to me is just effing moronic but you know the p- people who want to do that aren't i don't think they're seeing what's going on on the field I, I i think they're seeing the results and they're getting mad at the defensive coordinator as opposed to seeing what's going on on the field and seeing guys consistently in position to make plays and not making plays either that or they're just completely blowing their assignment it's what it's one of the two right now at the texas defense and it especially comes back to their run fits they just continually are making mistakes in their run fits or they're in position to make the right play and they blow the tackle or they overrun it or do something of that nature. You know, I got to, how's this, I got to figure out a way and I've been trying to think of it all week, how they're going to slow down Iowa state offensively. And I think it's just a matter of them just being more consistent because, you know, they're there. The guys are in position many times to make plays. They just have to make them. And not to put the cart before the horse, because we'll probably talk about more of this the second half of the show, but it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, which is how they were recruiting, because they always get that top five class with the five stars, but they're never the five stars at the right positions that answer the questions. So they're always five stars at the tight end position where you have five other tight ends, or at the running back position where you already have five other running backs, uh, So or the cornerback position where you already have five other cornerbacks. So... It, you always have that issue um, where, like, they needed a safety. They don't. They don't have a safety anymore, especially when Xavier Alford, Xavion Alford, transfers to USC. You know, you you have all these issues with depth at the right positions and a lot of talent at the other positions, kind of unbalanced, giving you an unbalanced roster. But on top of that, they just haven't learned the defense. And if you want to see what Pete Kwiatkowski's defense looks like or what he wants it to look like, you look at who Texas played last week in Baylor, and that's exactly the type of defense that Pete Kwiatkowski wants to run, and Texas fans just saw how effective it was against Texas. Now, Levi, what is going on with Iowa State this year on the offensive side of the ball? It seems like they had a little bit of a slow start, but they've started to really pick it up here. Has that been the emergence of Brock Purdy or just people getting healthy? What has it been? Has the offensive line solidified? How How's it going? Um, well, a big piece early in the season is Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler, didn't, Charlie Kohler missed the UNI game and was, was noticeably banged up for Iowa, Baylor, and UNLV for sure. Um, he's 100% now, but the first probably f- 
at least four games of the season, he was not healthy. Uh, had a had a I think he had a foot issue, if I remember correctly. He's healthy now, so that's a huge thing. I mean, it's Charlie Kohler. I mean, he 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 can you know that's a, that's a that's a that's a big piece to that offense. And when you well, don't t- have Charlie, the tight end position period is is a key right. cog in that offense, right? And then when you have a guy like Charlie Kohler, who's as good as he as he is, losing him as a pass catcher is is a big loss. But now they they have him. He's healthy. Uh, he's been good. That, so that's that's a good piece. And then. Like we were talking a little bit about Brock earlier. I can't, I honestly can't remember if it was on the show or it was before the show. Um, uh, but Brock's been generally speaking outside of the Iowa game where he had a couple unlucky picks, been really good. He's completing 73% of his passes on the season, which I believe is still second in the country after uh, what's his name from Coastal Carolina. Um, he's been really good. Um, uh, 12 to, I think he's 12 touchdowns, four interceptions with, like you said, three of them came in against Iowa and probably two of them were pretty unlucky. Um, he's been really good. He's been consistent, been a good game manager. He's been effective in the running game. If you watch him last, last week, even, even though they lost last week, if you watch that last, uh, that one of the last, you know, last couple drives, Iowa state had against West Virginia, that dudes were scrambling out of the pocket, making super gutsy runs, picking up first downs, you know, what you expect a senior, this, the plays you expect a senior to be making, he's doing it. Um, and then you've got Brace Hall back there. Who's having another very, very good season. He's a mon. He continues to be a monster. And that's the the offensive line has probably been the spot that's been the most disappointing. Pass protection generally been pretty good. Iowa State always has done a pretty good job in pass protection and and keeping Brock Purdy off the ground for the most part. But running the running game, the run blocking has been a little bit iffy if they don't if they don't get a, a at least a couple tight ends involved. Um, they just haven't been getting the push that we want to see um, in the running game. They they can at times they can be very good they can be downright dominant at times but then the other times they're just not getting pad they're just not getting any push and Brees Hall is having to kind of do a Dave Montgomery impression where he's had to make <laughs> a guy mess at the line and then figure it out for four or five yards yeah um, uh, if you're gonna emulate that, somebody you know yeah that's, if, if there's anybody one. you want you want to if you know if your offensive line sucks he's he's about as good as it gets for dealing with a bad offensive line <laughs> sounds like Bijan Robinson last week. Yeah, that that was that was definitely a, a sore spot last week. But no, I mean, it sounds like Texas is kind of dealing with the same issues as Iowa State is. I mean, uh, you know, this pretty much all season, you look at Texas, and it, it's a question of can Texas win more battles than they lose at the line of scrimmage? And unfortunately for them, the answer has been no, especially in the second half of ball games. Um, and, and that's why they're losing right now. I mean, you go back and look at last week. I mean, there are some, in, it, the game against Baylor. Yes. Joshua Moore, the wide receiver close to single-handedly cost Texas that ball game last week. But again, at the line of scrimmage through about two and a half quarters, Texas was, was winning battles more than they were losing. They were slowing down Baylor's run game for about two and a half quarters. Bohannon was not having a good day throwing the ball, but then. Things just switched, and Baylor was able to get that run game going, and that's how they dominated the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like there are a lot of similarities between Texas and Iowa State this year, but the similarities stop when it comes to the quarterback position and the tight end position because they have a quarterback who is a senior who is coming into his own and, and kind of getting where he was supposed to be this year. I don't think he's ever going to hit the heights that Brock Purdy was – People were promising from Brock Purdy. Uh, you probably disagree with me, Levi. But no, I, I think uh, I think yeah. I mean, the the what people were predicting from Brock Purdy was probably too much. 
right now I think we're seeing the best version of Brock Purdy. I think I think I don't know if he's if I'd say he's hit his ceiling necessarily, but he's he is realizing his potential right now. It seems to me the nature of that offense that Matt Campbell runs was never going to let Purdy put up the kind of numbers that people maybe no, thought he's he not going to be like a yeah he's not going to be like a Baker Mayfielder. I mean yeah. he play he does play like a lot like Baker did, um, but he's but he's like he was never going to put up those kind of numbers because the offense just isn't built for that. Yeah, and also the fact that I mean maybe this is one of the things I think at least early was slowing them down. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like. Iowa State just this year doesn't have quite the playmaking ability at the wide receiver position that they've had in past years, especially since Brock Purdy's been there. If different playmakers, like if you look at like if you look at like Brock's freshman season when he really came on, he had Hakeem Butler there, who's yeah. a, 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 a truly outstanding deep threat. Um, and Alan Lazard. Alan, well, he he didn't. Lazard he never played pre, with Alan. Yeah, he, was he, he never played with Alan. Pre? If yeah. he had Brock Purdy with Alan Lazard and Hakeem Butler, we'd had a different conversation. Probably <laughs> yeah, no joke. Um, but. <laughs> No, he because that was because if you the the if it's funny because that that 2018 season the the starting quarterback at the beginning of the year was Kyle Kempt. Um, that's right. That's a, yeah. He started that season, got hurt <laughs> in the Iowa game, and then and then uh, Zeb Nolan took over. Current South Carolina starting quarterback Zeb Nolan took over for a couple games. Um, and I remember Texas has a has a history of exposing quarterbacks, right, and then them getting put in mid game and, and turning the season around for that team. Yeah, 2018, uh, let's look at Oklahoma the past two years. 2018 was actually, we, we played at, we played at uh, in Austin with a chance to, if we want, if we'd have won, we probably go, would have gone to the big 12 title game. And then we ended up losing that one because Dave Montgomery got his ass suspended for the first half. And that was not ideal because he decided, because he decided to retaliate against a, some Baylor shithead that had punched him in the head the week before. But anyways, um, to, to circle all the way back around. Um, yeah, I mean, Xavier Hutchinson's still there. He's still been very good. Jalen Knoll is, is, is a slot guy that's really come on. He's a true freshman. Um, I think he's going to be a really big time, like Deshante Jones kind of guy where he can, he can just, you can just keep throwing him the ball all over the place and he can make plays. Um, he's still, but he's still a true freshman. Xavier Hutchinson is still having an outstanding season, just like he did last year. I think he's, I'm pretty sure he's still leading the big 12 in receptions. I mean, he's been very, very good. You have you don't have a true necessarily a true burner at this point in time. I mean, like Tariq Milton is really fast, and when you can get him loose in the open field, he's really really good. But he hasn't played a lot this year. He's uh, partially because Jalen Knoll has been very good, but I don't for whatever reason Tariq never became the deep threat we thought he was going to be. That the consistent deep threat, anyways. They've hit him for a couple of deep passes this year, but who knows? Joe Skates was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be could be that that second guy. He can be the deep threat. He's got speed, all this and. He's early in the season. He played a bunch, and then he has hardly not played at all the last few weeks. So I don't. That's hard to say exactly why it. it I don't know. It, it probably for the same reason that he didn't play a lot the previous couple of years, even though he was a four-star guy with an Ohio State offer coming out of college, coming out of Dayton High School, and he just hasn't really panned out that well. Um, so that's part of it. Iowa State's offense again is not really designed to take lots of deep shots. I would say it is, as far as pass catchers go is a lot of really good possession guys um, that can get like Xavier Hutchinson. I like when I, when I, when I did my initial player comp, I still stand by, I'm still very proud of how accurate this ended up being, but my initial player comp when he first committed to Iowa state was Justin Blackman. And he it's, it's been really, it's been a very good comp because it's just a dude that he just gets open. He catches the ball. He's really good after the catch. He he's fast. He's, he is fast in the open field. Um, He's not necessarily going to burn you a lot deep, but he's he just gets open, catches balls, does some damage after the catch, and that's what he does. Um, 
And that's that's just kind of where I would say it's offense is right now. It's not a super explosive passing game, but if they do get explosive plays, it's all after the catch. Now they're not connecting on you know big deep post routes or fly routes or anything. What worries you coming into this game on Saturday for Iowa State? Like, what are the things that you see that Texas has been able to do that makes you, as an Iowa State fan, especially coming off of what happened in that game last week, what makes you worry as far as, okay, Texas can beat us if this happens? Let me stop you. Has Texas been able to do anything on defense? No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Uh, the, the main thing that this weekend that worries me is when Texas is on offense and Iowa State's on defense, which is funny because I, you know, of any of any of any union, I shouldn't be worrying about the Iowa State defense. But last week they gave up a bunch of points to West Virginia. If Mike Rose plays, I'll feel a lot better. Um, if he doesn't, I'm gonna I'm if he, if Mike Rose doesn't play, I'm worried because um, then because that that seems like an opportunity. Bijan Bijan could do some damage. Um, you know, in I don't know that that creates more problems. If Mike Rose plays, I'll feel a lot better with it. Not to say that they will like totally bottle up Bijan, but for the most part, I would say it's done a really good job of containing running backs um, this season. Um, and but even then, even if Mike Rose does play, the threat of the deep ball still it still absolutely concerns me because I guarantee you, Texas watched game film of what West Virginia did last week, where they were able to to connect and well, and actually Oklahoma State too because that that random like little hail mary to Brandon Presley should have been picked off and it just yeah. wasn't. Yep, I remember um, that play. Yeah, and that's 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 one that I would say should have easily picked off. Um, they just didn't. So I'm sure Texas has watched the last couple of weeks of game film and say, "Hey, I would say if you know it, it, the defense never looks like one that you want to throw a deep ball against. But if you just kind of if you get some if you get a little bit of protection and you just wait it out, you can you can potentially connect on some deep stuff against Iowa State uh, because the corners aren't that athletic, and that that would be a point of concern for me. Do you worry about it to the point that that's maybe how Texas can open up their run game and get Bijan loose? Is is Iowa State having to maybe fall back to kind of protect their corners? Um, maybe. Just generally speaking, though, Iowa State has not. They'll they might move a safety over, but like I'm thinking of last year the Oklahoma game. If you look back at the Oklahoma game last year on like the second play of the game, maybe they hit Charleston Rambo on a really deep route because um, they had a single coverage on him and he just burned him deep. And then at the very end of the game, the very last play of, of Oklahoma's last drive where Spencer Rattler threw the interception, it was the same route, same everything. But what they did was they did the same thing and they just moved to Sheen Young back there and he covered it, picked it off, game over Iowa State one. Um, but throughout that whole game though, they didn't, they still didn't, compromise on the run so i don't like i would say doesn't like do the whole like if we're getting beat in this we sell out to stop that and then we figure it out from there generally speaking they stay they stay in their thing they might they might move a guy here or there just a little bit they might make a little bit of tweak but i would say it is not i would say doesn't compromise the structural integrity of their defense just to stop you know just to get rid of a little prick point here and there so they might hit a deep ball, but they're not going to restructure their offense because they hit a deep ball or two, or restructure the defense because they hit a, hit a deep ball or two. They're still going to stay fundamentally sound. They still know that Bijan's really good. They still know that if Texas can run the ball, they become a significantly more dangerous team um, than they are if they can just hit some deep shots. So yes and no, <laughs> they won't sell. They won't sell out to stop the deep pass. So I'm not like worried about them all of a sudden, like they just can't stop the run I guess, at all. I guess I was thinking it from a standpoint of, do you think you could see them maybe 
staying a little bit more of a two deep shell with their safeties and not committing one of those guys down to help with the run. Potentially, potentially, yes. So, what is it that you think Iowa State is going to do to try to attack Texas both offensively and defensively? How do you think that Iowa State is going to use use their strengths and sort of cover up their weaknesses against Texas? Um, so the interesting thing about this matchup is that almost entirely across the board, it's a lot of strength versus strength matchups with the exception of one. I would say it's running game versus Texas Tech's run defense. Tech, or sorry, Texas. Texas Tech. I mean, I know Texas I know our defense this year is reminiscent of Texas yeah. Tech, but, but Texas, I mean, so come on, man. Texas's run defense, that's, you know, you, know, you guys are going to the SEC anymore. I don't even care. I have no conscience about this. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but Texas's run defense, especially late in the game, has has had a bad tendency of of breaking down late in games. Yes. Well, the way Iowa State likes to run the ball is they like to run and run and run Brace Hall at you until you break down. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. They're going to they're like ba- like Baylor did. They're going to run outside zone at you, and they're not going to stop. Brees Hall is is good. You can you can give him the ball thirty times and he gets better throughout the game. Brees Hall does not slow down in the fourth quarter. He gets better. Yeah. And that's that is a part where if Iowa State commits and really commits to keep running the ball, you don't have to like you know you don't want to just run until you know run two yard gains all game and just hope that something breaks loose. But if you keep if you make sure you have a a steady commitment to the running game and getting Brees Hall outside inside zone whatever it is getting him the ball in different in different space. You can let him wear down a defense. He we we saw it in the Fiesta Bowl last year against Oregon, where you just keep running brace and you just punish and punish and punish and break a team down. And that's a huge, a huge spot where I guarantee you Iowa State will look to make that a pressure point. Because Iowa State's because Brees Hall is still one of the best running backs in college football. And he's he, his stats have reflected that. He's run for over 190 game over 190 yards on the ground, two of the last four games. Um, and I got, I got, he had like 190, 197, a buck 28. And then he had like, I don't know how much he had like 90 and then like 40 yards receiving the game, uh, another game. And he's at, he's having a really good thing. And it's, it's a, he's a, he's a, he's a punishing back to bring down, but he has the open, open field speed to run away from people. And that's the thing that if Iowa state makes a steady commitment to the run and just keeps trying to break down the Texas defense and make the, and, and tire them out. I think that's a spot, that especially in the second half, where you could see Brace break a run or two, and um, or or start really gashing for you know instead of four or five yards, starting gashing for seven, eight, nine, ten yards, you know somewhere like that. I think that's a huge spot that Iowa State is going to try to take advantage of because that is a that is maybe the only strength versus weakness matchup in this entire game. Yeah, and that was the interesting part last week. I mean, even against you know that Baylor does it with two backs, Iowa State does it with one. And ba- well, but, and Baylor's a weird deal because they have their wide zone thing, and it, it's, it's they do. kind of an odd. It's kind of an odd deal. But they know. they they love to run outside zone constantly. That's all and they do. Yeah. What they did last week, Texas really for the most for two and a half quarters or so. Texas did a good job of slowing it down. They'd pop like a, uh, they'd pop like a an eight nine yard run once early in the first half. Like I think it was the first drive of the game. They popped like a 15, 16 yarder. But then Texas was holding them to like two yards, three yards, two yards, three yards. I would say did the same thing down. against Baylor too. Yeah, it's like that's a that's a, th- a funny thing. Kind of a commentary on Baylor is that the wide zone is interesting and it can be hard to, to escape. But now that everybody's got a, a, at least a game of on film of how to stop this thing. I I see the I see some diminishing diminishing returns happening for Baylor on that wide zone thing going forward, but 
anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State did a really good job shutting it down. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I that's why Texas built the lead they did, and it should have been a bigger one last week, was because they slowed that run game down. And Will, you and I talked about it. They were making Bohannon pass off schedule, and that was why he had such a poor game throwing the ball. I mean, that mm-hmm. they, I mean, he threw two interceptions in the ball game, and both of them were just horrible decisions because he he was throwing off schedule. Right. So Levi, what is it about Texas that gives you pause in this game? On on, on defense. Either side, honestly. Well, I mean, like I said, the offense on on the offensive side, it's there. It's hitting deep passes against Iowa State's corners. That's that's mm-hmm. the main thing that scares me, because um, that's that would be that would maybe that you could call that a strength against weakness type matchup. Now, what's the deal with these two receivers? That Josh Moore and I don't know who the other one is, but Xavier John, Worthy. So, what's the deal with these two guys? Because I know Xavier Worthy's been really good. Xavier so Worthy, the true freshman, has been phenomenal. He's been doing it with short stuff. He's been doing it with deep stuff. He is your prototypical Steve Sarkeesian type of receiver. The guys that uh, Sarkeesian and Alabama just sent to the NFL last year. Right. Yep. He is that exact kind of guy. He so, is, now, who, not, who are the two receivers that may not play this? I know Joshua Moore might not play, but who's the other one that might not play? Well, the one who won't play for sure is Jordan Whittington because he's injured. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because he. Uh, dislocated his collarbone uh, uh against okay. uh OU. So he's okay. been out. That was the beginning of the end for Texas was when he he went out. It's hurt the offense a lot because he has been kind of the security blanket in many ways for uh Casey Thompson. Casey actually played a pretty good game last week against Baylor. He really did. Uh the interception was not his fault. I mean the pass was off target a little bit, but still it shouldn't have been an interception. Um, he played a pretty solid game. They actually got Joshua Moore involved more in the game. The biggest worry about Joshua Moore is, I mean, he just got consistency, consistency and he just got in an argument with Sarkeesian at practice today. They got pretty heated, and we'll see if anything comes of that, or if it was just heat of the moment stuff. But I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I saw, I saw I saw a tweet that said that said the future of his future with the team is in question. So I I was just I, he, I didn't know what that a, meant. He had a blow up with Sarkeesian today at practice. And, you know, it's one of the, you know, we saw the same thing happen last year on the defensive side when B.J. Foster had a blow up and, you know, cleared his locker out and then was back, you know, a couple of days later. You know, sure. it's 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 just one of those things you just, you wonder what it was. But the problem for Texas is that since Jordan Whittington went down, nobody has stepped up to help fill that gap. Um, Texas has a lot of young, inex- with the exception of, I mean, Whittington has some experience, but he had been hurt a lot in his career, and that's happened again this year. Moore has a decent amount of experience. He was the leading wide receiver coming back, but he's been plagued with some inconsistency issues. He dropped a touchdown pass last week. Basically, a pass that was behind him, he tried to reach back for him, volleyball set to a safety last week, and then he fumbled another one that took away points. So, I mean, you know, in many ways, he... <laughs> He, that's why I say he almost single-handedly cost Texas the game last week because of his mistakes. Um, sure. Again, the, the, you know, the, the deflected pass wasn't all on him, but you know, it's one of those where he's coming over the middle, the pass is behind him, he reaches behind him, gets his hands on it, and just doesn't catch it. You know, sure. it's, yeah. you, know you have uh, Marcus Washington, who's a big, athletic, speedy wide receiver, who the last two, three, two, three games has shown the ability a better ability to get open but unfortunately when the balls come to him he hasn't been able to make the play um he's had opportunities now they've been tough catches a lot of times 
He's had opportunities to make plays that could have, you know, helped Texas possibly win all three of these games or at the very least set them up to score points, and he just hasn't made them. So Texas right now is just struggling finding another playmaker on that offense besides Worthy in the passing game and besides Bijan Robinson. I think Texas this year, you can say on the offensive side of the ball, it's been the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's for these past three games, for sure. It has been the guys who have not been making plays or being consistent that have really hurt Texas. Uh, you know, there's been points that have just been left on the board because of mistakes up front, but even up front has been, while it's not been great for Texas, it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't been game costingly bad where it has been in years past. It's not great. They're below, they're below average, but they're not, they're not the trashest offensive line out there. So really it's just been a few missed plays here and there that have cost Texas each one of these games, which is almost worse for Texas fans. Uh, But, you know, it means that this offense does work. And even when there has been film on how to stop it, there's been adjustments game after game that have been good. And it means that they've been preparing well on offense and that they have been really doing, doing well on offense, but there's been, Again, this talent unbalance on the team, right? Like Texas has a lot of tight ends. They have a lot of running backs. They have a lot of big wide receivers, but they don't have a lot of wide receivers, especially since they missed on a lot of guys. I couldn't think Quentin Johnston was probably the biggest miss Texas ever had. And then especially with the offensive line. Well, the problem line. is they have no Defensive. experienced wide receivers. I think they have some raw talent there, but it's all young and inexperienced. And right. so it hasn't and been able to really get its way onto the field. And then they have a lot of defensive linemen up front, like defensive tackles. They don't have a lot of defensive ends because they just haven't been pulling those guys in. Uh, They have no linebackers, but they have a lot of corners. They have a hell of a lot of corners, and they have some safeties. And that's where, I mean, you you see this talent on balance really playing itself out, especially on the offensive side where, like, Xavier Worthy, amazing. Everybody else behind him, it's eh, okay. I mean, like as soon as Jordan Whittington goes down, it's there's just nothing because they haven't been hitting on recruiting in the wide receiver. Uh, you know, same thing for the offensive line, same thing for the safety, same thing for the linebackers. It's just kind of been like that um, for Texas so far. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the long and short of, of what I think about this Texas offense. I guess we can get into it at Levi if you want to hop off now, you can. You don't have to stay wrong, wrong for this. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have Do you have any more for me? <laughs> I mean, do you want to do you want to help us break down why tech what what to think about Texas for the rest of the year? Uh, what Texas fans should think for the rest of the year. Do you want me to do that? <laughs> do you have thoughts? Uh, I don't know. who's left on the schedule? Uh, Iowa State, and then it gets easy easier from there. After Iowa State, they've got. Uh, Kansas at home, West Virginia on the road, K State at home. Those are there's two trap games there. Um, West Virginia right. on the road is eh, hard. That's tricky, and then Kansas State is another one that can give you problems. They're not that great, but they can. They're good enough to give you problems. And uh, is KU at home? KU's at home. Uh, yeah, KU's at home. 
ideally yeah. shouldn't be a big deal. Oklahoma no, made it a it, bigger deal than it needed to be. <laughs> Oklahoma played like garbage against that team. And there's also that the classic Kansas beat Texas meme, so it's kind of, you know. Yeah. 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 Not that not that I would like worry about Kansas, but it's like no. even though they've shown that like if you if you mess up just enough, they can make it a little scary for a little while. And right. But Oh god. I think I mean I would I would assume Texas would come out of that 3 and 0, but I mean, they are, they are, unlike these last few weeks, they are, in my opinion, you know, unquestionably the better team. They're a better team than Kansas State. They definitely have more talent. I, w- I would agree. I would agree. They're a better team than West Virginia. They're a better, obviously a better team than Kansas. You know, th- to me, this is, as far as Texas, you know, since they had the chance to win last week and didn't come up with it, this now becomes the game where if they can get this one on the road, they can actually finish this season strong, and you can look at it as, you know, not a great season, but not a failure of a season either. Well, especially for a year one coach. Well, yes. so there's a couple of things. Well, one, how, how confident you feel against those three, those three teams, is is largely a a measure of how confident you feel that Texas will not bottom out in one of those games. Um, but part of the reason that you hire Steve Sarkeesian in the first place is because you know he knows what he's doing on offense. Yes. And what you've seen this year is that you that there's 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 some meat to that. Now we know that he can he can scheme up an offense. So he, like Texas should be good on offense going forward. Yeah, I, I don't mm-hmm. see Texas bottoming out. And I mean, you look at the last three games with OU, OSU, and Baylor. They haven't bottomed out in any of those games. In fact, like like we were saying, they have led for the most. They have led for the majority of three quarter the first three quarters of every game. They've sure. had a double digit lead in every one of those games. Now like I said, Baylor it was all of one possession. They had a double digit lead, but they still had it. You know, sure. it's it's one they've it's it's not like they haven't played to the level of competition and succeeded against it. They just haven't been able to close. The worthwhile thing is like those with those three teams though is that the teams that you get had been giving up leads to, these upcoming three teams, West Virginia, Kansas State and and Kansas, none of them are really like an offense that's going to necessarily punish you on a regular basis. So like the odds, the odds of blowing a late lead definitely go down against a Kansas and a Kansas state. And, and even West Virginia has the athletes to kind of do a little bit of damage, but it's not a team that you're like going to be like, Oh my God. You know, the, the one good thing, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm still trying to find out more about what happened today with the Joshua Moore thing with coach Sarkeesian, but the one thing I've consistently been reading now that can get strained as the losses pile up, but the one thing I've consistently been reading is that, you know, this this team is still together and they're still in the fight and they've done a good job of trying to, all right, let's let this go and try to correct mistakes and just move on to the next, you know, and it, it now if it keeps happening like it has been, it, it's going to pile up, but, you know, so far... You know, and I think part of this is the newness of the coach. And, you know, you know, I, I still look at what I see with Texas and the problems, and I see it more being a personnel issue than I do a coaching issue. As much as people – I have complaints about some of the things Kwiatkowski's done. I have complaints about some of the things Sarkeesian has done, especially in the second halves of football games, because that's been an issue too, is Texas not being able to keep possession of the ball in the second half, which keeps your defense on the field more. But – while I have complaints here and there, I really view it as more of a personnel issue than anything else. And nothing has shown nothing outside of that dumbass fake punt call on Saturday. 
nothing has made me has made me change my mind on that. Yeah, I I look at this year and going into this year, Texas. What do you think are Texas's uh, you know toss up games here? Right, I would say going in, we looked at it as Louisiana, which doesn't turn out that was much of a toss up game. Uh, Arkansas, although Louisiana is still a good team, I mean they've been winning. True, you know. True, uh, and I thought it would be TCU. Turns out that was Baylor and Oklahoma State and Iowa. Iowa State. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's been better than I anticipated them being this year. I would agree. Yeah, with but that. if you if you looked at the advanced stats when it came to the percentages that were given to Texas, Texas had five five toss up games, and they are they are one one and four preseason advanced so. stats about percentage of wins. I, I I'm talking about even through through the season. Yeah, I, it, it's it, what I'm saying is you go into the season and you're trying to evaluate how this goes. You know, Iowa State or not Iowa State, Oklahoma State, especially defensively, I think has been much better than anybody anticipated them being. Baylor, especially defensively, has been much better than anybody anticipated them being this this season. So that but changes you, the calculus. Do you, do you disagree on those being the toss-up games for Texas this year? Outside of Oklahoma, which I think most people going in no, that was a who, loss. Are, who didn't who didn't who weren't Texas fans thought of it as being a loss for Texas. The the four game, I think I went into this game looking at two games as as probable losses. Uh for sure. Probable losses. That was Oklahoma State or not Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and at Iowa State. And mm-hmm. and the reason Iowa State to me was a loss was because it was in Ames in November and you know while Iowa State has you know not been as good as people thought they would be this year they're still a solid still football team, but I still look at that. I those were the two games I said those are those are prob. If I had to really be honest with myself, especially Oklahoma, but if I had to really be honest with myself, I was like, yeah, those are probably losses. So then, four toss-up games. Looking back on this season, looking forward, how many toss-up games are there? I'll be honest. I didn't think Arkansas. I didn't think Arkansas was a toss-up game. I really didn't. All right, three I didn't, toss-up because games. I didn't think Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas was a shit team last year. They've been better than people thought they would be this year, but even though it was on the road, I did not think Texas would get their ass kicked like they did up in that stadium. I thought I thought Louisiana was a toss up, and I thought uh, TCU and Oklahoma State were toss ups. Okay, well, I think looking back on this, Texas had four toss up games, four games that could have gone either way for them. Uh, had a snap gone here, a snap gone there, including the Arkansas game, because if Keaton Crawford's toe is not one inch out of bounds, that is a completely different game, in my opinion. Now, maybe that's you know splitting hairs here. But I think Texas had four, maybe five toss-up games. If you even even if you include the Oklahoma game, Texas is one in four in those games. So it has just been them ending up on the wrong end of the coin flip for a lot of these games. And it, it's really just a player or two here. And I feel like it's that way yeah. every single year. But at the same time, I have to remind myself, especially after that Baylor game, because I was, I was livid watching that Baylor game. I, I was upset after the, I was like de- depressed, upset after the Oklahoma game, depressed, upset after the Oklahoma state game, livid after Baylor livid. 
and I had to remind myself because Baylor's year, Baylor's not as good as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They're just true. not. <laughs> but I have to remind myself this is a year one of a football coach. It is. You you know we weren't coming into this year thinking ten wins. We were hoping for nine. We were expecting eight. And yeah, I mean, I Texas realistically, still, I realistically thought eight or nine wins. It Texas was, can still get to eight or nine wins this year. You know, if things don't go Levi's way. But <laughs> I mean, the thing about the season though for Texas is that even if they finish out three three and one with a loss of names this weekend, you finish seven and five, which the record isn't great. But what you do have though is a proof of concept, especially in offense. Um, is that you have you have a blueprint for you have a proof of concept and a blueprint for for an offense. See, even if we don't have the personnel that fits this offense right now, we can recruit to that because we're Texas and we can get basically anybody we want or whatever. And for the most part, and you can or or you can find a pretty good player to plug in there. Uh, yeah, if, I, I'm just I'm not I'm Iowa State. I'm not here to hear about any recruiting. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I want to go full well, Georgia. Well, you say eh, I, I'm very confident. That Sarkeesian, especially offensively, can find they the can find guys to fit. He needs to, to, to run that offense. Yeah. So you have you have a proof of a successful proof of concept on offense for Texas defense. We got you, you still got to figure something out whether it's personnel, whether it's scheme, whatever that is, whatever that. You looks know what like. though? I I really think that you have a, a proof of a proof of scheme on defense. You may if yeah. you look at the history of Pete, of Pete Kwiatkowski throughout his entire career. He's he has had fantastic defenses throughout his career. Now some people say, "Well, it's Pac-12." I don't give a shit. His defenses at Washington kicked people's asses and did it on the regular. So the the proof of concept is there. He just has to find the guys to run it, and I think right now he just doesn't have it. Levi, you were saying, yeah, yeah. It, it's, as far as the defense goes, the it's been a little bit inconsistent, especially like late in the games and stuff like that. So. Maybe it's a matter of just find, finding guys and developing them in a way that they can last four quarters instead of two or two and a half. You know, maybe that's maybe it's a development issue, or it could be maybe it could be a personnel thing. So you may you may also have a successful proof of concept as far as the defensive scheme goes. Um, then it becomes a recruiting and a development issue. But even like right now on the offensive side of the ball, it may truly just be a recruiting issue. Saying we just need to find the right guys with the right archetypes that fit yeah. this scheme there, and then. You're then you're in good shape because at least this year you've seen you've seen the offensive success this year. You should like even if even if a even if a seven and five finish, you should still feel confident going forward that it's pointed in the right direction. Right, you saying proof of concept gets my startup brain going because we live in Austin. I work for a startup. I work in startups, and the proof of concept is actually a perfect way of looking at this. This is a proof of concept year for Texas. This is a here is what we can do. Here's what we can be in certain areas and showing, Hey, there is something workable here. And then you get, you know, you get investors, IE boosters, donors, recruiters, recruits, uh, to funnel money into your products. So the, the recruits as pockets, hopefully I want to go. I want to go full Georgia. I want Texas to oh, go yeah. full. I want them to pull a full Oregon, but I, they, you know, you funnel, you funnel money into it and you let them build for a few years and see if they can get, you know, under that, you know, over the, the initial, the, the hump basically, which is if you look at a financial analysis of startups, there is a like two, two, three year, like they are way in debt and then they start getting the revenue profits so that the debt that they had just kind of gets to a zero point. You want to get to that point. 
for Texas where the proof of concept and the money you fill in to that program ultimately pays out so that these investors and that, you know, donors, fans basically are left with a product and an ownership of a product that they are, that is making money, that is profitable, that is good. That's what you want for this Texas program. I don't know if that made any sense to anybody. I, I get what you're saying. It, it does make sense to it. There is a, there is a, a corollary there that, that you can identify if you understand, you know, the investor side that you're talking about with startups. But yeah, what this is, is showing that what you do can work. You just have to build it into that success into that successful program that everybody wants. But right mm-hmm. now, what we see is, at least on offense, you see what Sharkeesian is doing and that it can work. On defense, we haven't seen the success yet. And that's where all the questions lie right now. You've seen it in Kwiatkowski's past at Washington, but you haven't seen it. You haven't seen the the you haven't seen the payoff start to happen yet with performance on the defensive side. So that's a harder sell. Right. Yeah, and you have to wonder. Do I think some of the press was asking, do the two philosophies of the offense and the defense actually mesh well yeah. together? Yeah. Is and there complementary think- football happening right now? And that is a big question. Right. So with this season in mind, what what are you thinking about, Jacob, for the rest of the season? What are you what are you hoping for in the season? What are you thinking about it? Like how are you basically not going mad about the results on the field? Um, I'm not going mad just because I like I said, I see this more as a personnel issue. And that is something that's simply going to take time to fix. Um, on both sides of the ball. Right now, it's mainly at the offensive line position, and now it's started to crop up at the receiver position because of injury, but it's mainly at the offensive line. Um, and with defense, it's at multiple positions. But I I see it more as a personnel problem than a coaching problem. And so I, I am, I'm confident that if people will just calm the fuck down, <laughs> you know, they, they, you got to let these guys work. And let them try and build what they're trying to build. Now, if we got the same problems two years from now, okay, then it's time to start discussing some other things. But right now, you got to let them build. Levi is coming from a program that has seen a successful rebuild, starting from the beginning. Yeah. By the way, or just a build. (laughs) When's Matt Campbell taking that Big Ten job next? (laughs) Yeah. So seeing seeing how Matt Campbell has built his program, and you know having gone through the entirety of it as an Iowa State fan. What can you tell Longhorn fans who are usually a lot more impatient with their investments, given that they have had some big returns in the past? What do you, what do you expect? What do you, what, what is your word of advice to Longhorn fans? One of the hallmarks of the Matt Campbell era has been stability and stability and consistency um, and continuity. If you look at his coaching staff, there's been a couple, like maybe one, like a GA or something like that, jump in and out. But aside from, um, aside from uh, uh, DK McDonald going to the Eagles and replacing him with Dion Broomfield, who was an Iowa State grad, the coaching staff, is, all the assistants have remained basically unchanged since Matt Campbell took over. And having that continuity and consistency has been crucial. Um, Cause then you, and it, everybody's on the same page. They have a definite plan for this is what we want to do. These are the guys we want. 
this is how we want to build our culture. This is how we want to build out our roster. And having consistency, having continuity is so important when you're trying to establish a thing. Because we know at Texas, like under Tom Herman, the, the program culture, I know it's kind of a vague term that everyone throws around, but it, it, does, it does matter. We've seen it does matter. Um, that the program culture under Tom Herman suffered. And it, and it, 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 it did. Wasn't, it it there, wasn't where it needed to be. And there you, wasn't and, a lot of stability in the, right. in, the, under, in the Tom Herman era. Right. And so you want it, you need to change that and you can't change that in one year. You can't change it in two years. You have to, you have to build that up. So you, they, if you ever want to get to the point where you have a, the way, the way I describe this to people, cause you know, like last year there was that famous, you know, Brees Hall had that quote, it's the five-star culture versus five-star first five-star talent kind of guys. And that was after the Texas game. And the way, the way that I have described this to people is if you say Iowa state is five-star culture, three-star talent. Texas is five-star talent, three-star culture. Alabama is the manifestation of five-star culture, five-star talent. And you have Alabama and that where it's just this unstoppable juggernaut. If Texas ever wants to get to that point where you can have both the five-star talent and the five-star culture that allows you to compete for a playoff and national championships, which is why I assume that's where Texas fans want to be. If you want to be there, you have to build that culture and it can't be built overnight. It can't be built in one or even two years. It has to be there and you have to be able to give people time. You have to, to, to build something out because rosters, especially football rosters, basketball rosters can be largely overhauled in a year or two. Yeah, football they rosters, can. they just, football rosters just cannot. You can't. Offensive line, offensive line takes a minimum two or three years to develop a, a starting offensive lineman. Minimum. And you can't like, and quarterbacks are the same way receivers and running backs. You can kind of plug freshmen in there and have some success, but, but on the line quarterback, even corner, you really don't want to put young guys out there if you don't have to. And it takes time. So if Steve Sarkeesian has to recruit new guys that fit his scheme, you then have to give him a couple more years to let that player become where he needs to be in the scheme to then see, is this thing working? Like, is there a good plan going forward? Cause him still trying to run his thing with Tom Herman's players. It might work. It might not. And, but until he can get the players that fit his, what his vision of Texas football is until you can get those guys in and get them developed to the point where they're actually starter quality and where you actually want them on the field. That takes a lot of time and it has, it takes more time than Texas fans have historically given their coaching staff. And that has to change period. Right. I, I it's nice to hear this all coming from, a bystander, a neutral bystander of the program. But, and it, and it rings true. The one problem I think has been for Texas is the fact that they are such a national brand that it, as much as it hurts them, it as much as it helps them, it, it also hurts them because, you know, they have all the boosters, right? But that also means they have the eyes. So when they fail, like they have over the past three weeks, it allows a lot of teams and a lot of fans to post poke fun at them at, you know, because everybody wants to poke fun at the big baddies who well, are Texas. You know what the best everybody way to get people to, see- to stop poking fun at you, get your shit together. And, and way, the way you get your shit together is you get your culture, right? And that's, well, I get that. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that the, the fact that there is so many, there's so much, you know, hate that is flung at Texas. Uh, it kind of in turn, makes fans want it to stop faster. I get that. I 100% and, get that. And and because the fans want to stop it faster, the boosters have all the money and the power to do so, 
it, it means that you had, you know, a, a coach at Texas has such little time because, you know, less time than they should because the fans are ravenous that they want this now. And if you don't get it to them now, then they're going to try to find some way other other way to do it, which is counter. You know, it's it's kind of a vicious cycle. It's counter to what actually sh- needs to happen, which is yeah, you take your beating for a few years and then you let you let some some stability form in your program, and over time that happens. But I mean, right now Texas is just taking it from all angles and sort of things blow you know blowing up on them. Uh, in their face, including, you know, what happened on Monday with the whole uh, pole assassin and the monkey. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, that's a funny story that I, oh, no, everybody it, yeah. should should laugh at, but it has nothing to do with the Texas program. Right. In oh, no, reality. It, no, it doesn't. So, but it's it's the thing is, is that it's just another thing that. So just... from from outside the program, this and the, the, I think the, there's a little bit of a I don't know if it's a, a disconnect is the right way, but the, so. From outside the program, the way the way an Iowa State fan views Texas, and, and I think it, I think it does share with a lot of other people too. We understand Texas is a big brand. They have lots of they have lots of money. We, you can do lots of different stuff. They're, they're, the resources are truly virtually unlimited, and that's why you have to care about Texas because they have they always have the stuff. They have the stuff that they, that you need to compete at a high level and to be competitive whenever you want. But being under and respecting the brand and understanding that Texas is a big brand is different than respecting the program. It's not that people don't respect Texas football, but it's and it's it's not that people don't respect Texas football, but they don't respect it as a national power like Texas fans want it to be respected. And that and I think that there has to be a realization there that People don't view Texas football the way they view Alabama or they view even Clemson or but they don't. They just don't. They see Texas is a national brand, not a national power. Correct. So they they view it as a, they understand that the brand is huge, but they they largely view Texas as being this underperforming kind of a disappointment. Basically, I mean to use a harsh word, and they have been since 2010. Right, and that that's how people view that. So you've already taken 10 years, 11, almost 12 years of lumps now. And it's and it has not been fun. I know it has not been fun for you guys. And I can sure I can say that because it's been equal. It has been way less fun for us for most of this too. Um, but if you are willing to just take your lumps for a couple more years and build that out, build out the program the way it's supposed to be built, the way that every good program does, Clemson does it, Alabama does it, Ohio State does it. Those programs that are always good and that have that have everything else Texas does, but they have national titles to go with it. They have what they have is they've get they gave people time to build them. Now, Ohio State has never been bad, but like they they've had they've had a few average years, but they've never been bad. They've never been bad, but what they do that they have Ohio State also has incredible continuity. They had they hang like nobody gets fired from Ohio State for bad performance. Because they nobody does. It's always a scandal of some sort that, or like like Urban Meyer or Jim Tressel or Earl Bruce. Yeah, all of their best coaches were there for 10, 15 years, and then something weird happened, and they got kicked even, out. Even the guy they view as a not a great coach, John Cooper, was there for over a decade. Right. You so know, like, and his only problem was he couldn't beat he couldn't beat Michigan. Right. But other than that, he was a successful coach. Right. And you know, and then Nick Saban's obviously been there forever. And as long as he's there, Dabo Swinney's going to be at Clemson forever. You know, that you have, you have lots of people that a lot of these programs 
are key there. They, they have tremendous continuity, but now Alabama is a little bit of an exception because they have almost no continuity because they keep sending everybody else and they pick up new people. And then they just, they just recycle. Yeah. Really but they, good they, they had continuity for when Saban what, what first started though, to build that into yes, a power. Absolutely. He yeah. had continuity and now it's just a machine. Well, what Alabama does have though is continuity of culture. Cause when, a, when, a, when, yes. a, when a, when a retread, when a retread coach comes in, they don't say they don't, they don't bring them in to, we're going to do things your way. No, you're going to do things the Alabama way, and then you can adjust from there. That's that's how Al, it's consistency and continuity of culture. That that's how Alabama can have a new offensive coordinator every single year, and nothing changes. They're always good. That's how you do that. Is when you have a continuity of culture. And right now, Texas does not have that at all, and you need so, that. And it takes time. Speaking of culture. I mean, I already brought it up, but I'd be remiss if I didn't really put like a small segment to this because, I mean, it was literally the talk of Twitter for like, a day. And it's really just, you know, a objectively, an objectively funny story. But it, it's Texas fans have known, or at least most Texas fans should have known that Jeff Banks came into Texas, you know, part for the course of Alabama. He went to Alabama and left with a stripper girlfriend that has a named pole assassin that has a emotional support monkey. monkey. Well, <laughs> monkey. For, for those people who might be listening and don't know the backstory of this, let's just real quick. Go he's, ahead. He's been with her for like two or three years now. Left a family okay? of four to be with her. <laughs> yeah, he, he left his wife and kids to be with, divorced his wife and left his wife and kids at the time to be with her and has been with her for, like I said, I want to say a good two or three years now. Mm-hmm. He was with her at Alabama. This yep. you know, this situation with Jeff it's Banks not is not anything fans. new. It's not, not new to news. it's not new to Texas fans who are paying attention. Right. No, you know, because when he got hired, people said, Oh, by the way, he does have this wife, just FYI. You know. And this situation that happened over the Halloween weekend, I don't even know if he was there. I still haven't I mean, in all of this, I have not heard one ounce of a story that said he was actually there at home when this happened and it's so it's not it, so much a s- scandal and it really wouldn't have been a, a big thing had sh- had the wife not or the girlfriend not been going back and forth with pft commenter of barstool Sports. yeah she, she got defensive and <laughs> was you know hilarious it, it's as long as the kid's okay this is something that'll go away by next week it's not, oh no no but but it won't by saturday just, I yeah, there's, no, there's no, gonna be not at all. dozens of monkey costumes in the student co- in the student sure. section. It's gonna sure. I guarantee it. <laughs> I know one of my writers ordered one like within like and like a story the story came out in like an hour. He's like, guys, I bought a monkey costume. <laughs> and you know what? It, it it's not gonna affect Texas at all. It'll be funny to see on TV. Yeah. But it's not going to affect. If, Texas if that's the, the worst slightest. thing that happens to the Sarkeesian to the Sarkeesian yeah. regime, you're going to be just. Fine. I, I, I'm not. Wor- I'm not worried about that. They, you, Je- the thing about Jeff Banks is Jeff Banks is a damn good coach, and he's 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 widely considered to be the best special teams coach in the country, and that's why he was brought in. So they just need, you know, he just needs to keep at it and keep doing what he's doing, and maybe not, you know. He and Sark maybe don't call fake punts at the wrong time like they did Saturday, but that's been the one major gaffe they've had on special teams all year. Otherwise, special teams have been good. Yeah, no, but it's just a fucking funny story. It's it is. I love it. It's it's like, what other program can say that they have a coach who has a pole dancing 
uh, Alabama girlfriend who has a name Alabama of the that. pole assassin. Uh, yeah, I know. So I mean, look at look at what the names the names that you're throwing around with <laughs> Texas here. It's it's Alabama and Texas. That's that's those are the programs yeah, you can boast about. Yeah, he was at Texas this. A&M. He was still married. So they, yeah, no, no, not that. even te- Texas A&M fans are jealous right now <laughs> that Texas has a coach with a exotic dancing uh, exotic dancer who is named the Pole Assassin with a emotional support monkey, and they just they wish. Fans, Iowa State fans wish that they they had a monkey who bit a child at uh at at haunted at a haunted house that represents their program. We've got I some. I don't know if they wish that. A few years ago, we wrote it. We did a, over the summer. We did a series of a hundred things that Cyclone fans should forget before they die. And I can assure you that there is wackier and dumber shit on there. Well, not maybe not wackier, but like just more like God. I can't believe that happened to us. Type of thing. I am. I am yes. just upset that texas hasn't been better enough this year that we haven't had more like touchdown monkey celebration pictures with players and and the monkey because that's kind of what i was hoping for this year is there would be you know you probably can't do it on the sideline because the monkey might freak out but you know like maybe post game you know whoever had the most touchdown you know whoever the best offensive or defensive the picture gets a picture with the with the touchdown monkey <laughs> that that's that's, that's what I idea. nicknamed it. I wanted I wanted the touchdown monkey, but that just has we haven't been good enough this year. And you know maybe maybe the monkey unfortunately just isn't calm enough for that. But I don't know. But still, I, Iowa that, State Iowa State fans should pull a Texas Tech fan and bring bananas. My my point is is honestly, if anything else, Texas sure hasn't taken will. Texas hasn't taken enough advantage of the monkey. Okay. No, they haven't. We no, haven't. Honestly, we, we, they they've been slacking. Yeah, we've needed more monkey, not less monkey. Is what we've yeah, needed. This is this <laughs> is the emergence of the monkey for Texas right here. This is getting the monkey off the back. Right uh, here. you were the back burner. You had to uh, say it, didn't you? Yeah, no, I, I, dude. Uh, I came into the show with a lot more monkey puns than I have used. Uh, we haven't gotten to the subject, so. Hmm. Uh, You're gonna throw been... up more of those, then we we should stop stop the subject now. Oh no, we're we're well over time right now. Was, yeah. we're just we're just monkeying around right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, and on that note, uh... <laughs> this is where I have to do my David Irving steal a stop sign during a Visha riot and tell you to stop this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yes, let's let's stop. I'm sorry. We we've kept Levi for very long, but. On that note, thank you all for listening to us. This has been 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. We have been joined by the lovely Levi Stevenson of Why Write Natty Light. Levi, where can we find you? The lovely. Lovely. (laughs) It it rolled off the tongue. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I I like it. Um, uh, Iowa State stuff is all at Wide Right. On Twitter, it's at Wide RT Natty LT, Wide Right Natty Light.com. We have Facebook and we have a YouTube channel where we do our hot ta- our hype tapes plus we have a tuesday night kind of a, kind of our version of a late night show it's called the nightcap we do that um it's been a good time we've got a couple now, pod- the, your, your podcasts are entertaining your twitter account is a is a very fun follow for other big 12 fan bases to check out if they haven't already yeah we've got a we crank out a couple pod like normal podcasts per week that you can they're on spotify apple tune app, app, apple tunes whatever that's fine apple music spotify everywhere you get a podcast it's all available uh, I have a personal account. It's at Levi R. Stev. I don't, it's whatever. You don't have to follow that. There's nothing useful on that, on that account. Um, it's mostly just D and D and stupid shit. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and drums and stuff, but 
That's that's pretty much. You can go it. You can go to, if you want to, a reason to go to my Twitter profile is you look at my header and I have a sweet ass picture of the USS Iowa when they were fire testing the artillery. That's 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 okay. the reason. That's the reason to visit my Twitter profile. Uh, Battleship Twitter, go for it. Absolutely, <laughs> dude. I got super into battleships. Like I've, I can feel myself getting older. I got super into battleships this last this past summer <laughs> because I didn't like. It's like I didn't, that guy. It's like that Geico commercial. Who reads books about submarines? Right. Who like, does it? Well, because my like, dad. <laughs> You didn't because I didn't like I didn't know that like the USS Iowa is one of the best battleships the United maybe the best battleship the United States has ever made. But you know what's interesting about the USS Texas though? Our friend WW McClyde would love this conversation. So, right you, now so, because- the, so the USS Texas, which is older, that was from like a World War One ship. Yeah. One, one thing that made them famous was the Texas was at the bat was at the D-Day invasion. And what they did then, because and it was the only it was the only ship that hit the target on that hit any of their targets on shore, and the reason they did that because they because everybody else was out of range. Well, the Texas was out of range too. But what they did was they intentionally flooded the side of their ship, so it it tilted the whole ship back so that it gave them a bigger angle, and so they shot they lobbed them further. So they actually like half sunk <laughs> their ship so they could shoot their shells further and hit the shore. <laughs> that's why that's what the, that's what like is the cool about the USS Texas. Iowa State football info and World War II battleship takes. Love it. <laughs> Iowa and Texas both have cool ass battleships. That's that's they do. They that's do. really that's really or the did. Cuz well they're they're both still floating. Uh in the Iowa Iowa's super fast. It's got crazy guns. It's got the biggest range of about any battleship ever made, so Nice. No. Cool. Well, guys have been, you guys have been, had this whole history discussion sponsored by our Patreon, the patreon.com slash hornscast. Have to, have to thank Cole C and Brittany M as usual, you know, our two biggest fans. They, they're awesome. They're great people. Uh, they get to have their name on the show. They get to talk to us personally on the side. Super cool. Awesome benefits. Cole C gets a shirt too on top of it all it's amazing it's amazing and also the the discord as well i've been slacking on doing game watches game film watches because i don't want to watch any of the last three because games it's been depressing as fuck yeah but <laughs> uh you guys can find us there as well as uh wherever you jacob where can we find you uh on twitter at kips underscore big underscore boy is where you can find me and you guys can find me on twitter as well at Will Bazer, that's W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook them. Hook them. What do they say at Iowa State? Uh...